my friends. How are you? Thanks for, thanks for being here, making it. I mean, listen to this, right? Thanks for making it to church this morning. And if you're online, watching online, uh, you're not here, but we're grateful that you're online. So, uh, man, what a, what a wild week we've had with all the rain and flooding and all that. Uh, I hope that you and yours have been safe. Uh, Before we get rolling this morning, I want to make one announcement, and then we'll dive into our passage for today. The one announcement is this. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Kirk Gensel. I'm the teaching pastor here at H&W, and I oversee discipleship ministries. What that means is that uh, in the next, what that means for the moment at least, is that in the next week, we as a church are launching into a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality in our groups, okay? So, this is important because in the last year, we've just felt this need coming out of COVID and all the difficulties that it brought, both physically and emotionally, that people just need an opportunity to work through some stuff, okay? Can I get an amen, all right? So... What we've done is as groups, we'll go through this, but the reason I mention it is some of you aren't in a group, and I just want to give you opportunity to join a group before these groups get rolling. So here's what we need to do. Next week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. in the adult building, you can attend a class called Group Connect where we'll teach you about groups and connect you to a life group before we get started. One caveat, if you just want to be in a group for eight weeks to go through this study, that's fine. If you want to be in a group for the rest of your days, that's also fine, whatever you want, but we just want to make sure that nobody's left in the dust because they didn't know, okay? So again, that's next Sunday at 9 a.m. only over in the adult building. All right, let's get to it this morning. A question for you as we get started. Are any of you personality test nerds this morning? Do we have any of those in the room? Could you raise your hand if you're in that boat? I see you right here. Oh, and I see you, buddy. So here's the thing. Uh, I wouldn't call myself necessarily a personality test nerd, but I feel like I've taken so many of them that you could consider me that throughout my life. If you are an adult and you work in an office, you've probably taken one of these once a year for the last 20 years of your life, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. We want to know each other. We want to know about ourselves so that we can serve each other and work with each other best, right? But I'll tell you, I've always had a weird relationship with these because I remember very specifically when I was a younger man, when I was a teenager... Uh, I was on a little leadership team in my, in my uh, student ministry, and we were with my youth minister, and he gave us this test that had animals, okay? I don't remember what the test is called, but I remember at the end, I, we took the test, and we went around the circle, and like, your personality type was a particular type of animal, so I looked at my friend across, I was kind of at the end of the deal, and they're like, well, what animal are you? Kind of, well, I'm a golden retriever, and I'm like, well, that's a noble beast, that's awesome, Right? It's like steady, dependable, loyal, and all these things. I'm like, wow, that really does describe you. And then went to the next person. It's like, what's yours? Well, I'm a lion. It's like, well, awesome. Right? Big lead. Some of you took this test, right? I'm a leader, and I, people naturally gravitate to me because I'm a powerful influence and personality. And then it came around to me, and it's like, all right, Kirk, what are you? And I'm like, I'm an otter. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Some of you are otters in the room, and you know this feeling. It's like I flunked the personality test. <laughs> right? Some of you who are ENFPs know how it feels to flunk the Myers-Briggs, right? You like get to the end, and they're like, ooh, that's a hard one. Sorry about your life. It's going to be hard to work with people, right? So, some of you have been in this position where it just feels like you flunked the test. But people are always kind, and they're like, no, everyone counts. Everyone matters. 
And I'm like, I'm a fuzzy little animal that lays on its back and eats fish all day. So basically, I'm cuddly, and I like to party. And they're like, yeah, that is you. That's it. It's like, great. Awesome. That's what I have for society. Good. Thanks. Thanks, Charles. So I mentioned that because uh, for me, the first time I took a spiritual growth, or I'm sorry, a spiritual gifts test, everybody taking one of those in the room? It's kind of like the Christian version of this, but instead of it just being your personality, we're talking about the gifts that God's given you on the other side of of salvation when you receive the Holy Spirit, okay? So I took mine, I mean, this is probably 20 years ago, first time I rolled through that test. And again, like that feeling of, of uh, a little bit of nervousness, because you have those things that you want God to have given you, but then you have those things that God's given you, and sometimes it's a little bit of a letdown, if I'm honest, all right? So I take my test, I get on there, and it's like, what are your spiritual gifts? First one, teaching, awesome, perfect, I'm going to be awesome. Second one, exhortation. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. Let's do that. That's awesome. And then I know what it means now, guys, but I didn't know what it means then. But then I'm rolling through there. What's your third one, Kirk? I'm like hospitality hospitality what is that hospitality I don't like I don't have a subscription to better homes and gardens I don't look at blogs that teach me how to clean my house well like what is what do you what do I do with that how do I test that so I'm thinking well that must one just must not count and I just don't mention it and I move on and tell people something else so I move on and I keep taking these tests over the years and I'll be honest like For those who take spiritual gifts tests, the Holy Spirit sometimes kind of moves that around as you age and go through different seasons of your life. But you know which one always ends up on the list? Hospitality, over and over and over and over again. And it's true, like there was a time in my life when I just resented it, like what is that? What do I even do with that? Right, am I supposed to like be a party planner or something? Like what is, who is that person? Here's what I learned as I aged and got a little bit more mature. I came to the conclusion that someone who practices hospitality just wants to create spaces where people feel at home. And for me as a minister, that's absolutely true. My heart wants to create spaces where people, particularly people who are far from Jesus, can come and feel at home so they can experience his kindness and goodness and love. So yeah, now I understand it a little bit better, but then it was just like, what in the world are you doing, God? Here's the deal. Some of you in the room kind of are reluctant hospitality people some of you in the room just knock this out of the park every day it's like you wake up and you're like rocky like right just doing your hospitality thing all day long running up the steps blessing people everywhere you go and that's that's incredible like we love that for you like you know those people right they're remarkable they're the ones whose homes are just always freaking clean right they're always ready for you at a moment's notice. Like, here is your delicious quiche I made you that just popped into my brain 13 seconds ago, right, or whatever. Like, we know those people. We love those people. But here's what I want you to know this morning. When you look at Scripture, what you find is, yes, God gives some people with the gift of hospitality, and it's a beautiful thing. But God invites all of us into this practice. Okay, look at this. In First Peter chapter 4, it says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. That's a whole sermon, right? Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. That word there for um, hospitable is the word phylloxenos, and it means, uh, as as you could like pull it apart, it's like a, um, a compound word, and you could actually flip the two words and make a word that we have today. That word today would be xenophilia, right? It means love for a stranger, Okay, got that? So the first word is phileo, which means brotherly love. We know this with uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But then that second word is xenos, or 
Uh, Zinnia means a stranger or a guest or someone who's an outsider. So when you get down to it, what it means when you're talking about New Testament biblical hospitality, you're talking about love for a guest or love for a stranger. Similarly, you have words like xenophobia, where people are afraid of foreigners or they're afraid of strangers. But we've been called as Christians to practice hospitality, to be hospitable. And you have this a few times smattered throughout the New Testament. And it's a command that God wants for each and every one of us. It paints a picture of one who's loving to guests. And I might define hospitable or hospitality or being hospitable in this way, ready? Very simply, someone who helps others feel at home in their home, okay? Someone who helps others feel at home in their home. And you could take it a step even further. The hospitality is about helping someone feel at home in your home that they might find home with God. Okay? So that's just like a really simple little primer to what we've been called to. We're in a series right now called the Home Edit. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about our definition of home are, is all over the place in a room this size, right? what home looks like for us. But regardless of what home looks like for you, you can practice hospitality, the love for a stranger or the love for a guest, friendship of a guest, just like anybody else in the room can. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you live in a big house or you live in an apartment or you live with six roommates, right? You can practice hospitality regardless. And I think God would have us do so. So this morning what I wanna do I want to look at a passage in the Old Testament, one that involves a character that probably most of us in the room aren't even aware of, and if we are, it's because we read the Bible over and over again, okay? It's kind of tucked away in a little passage in 2 Kings. It's a, a woman who doesn't have a name, but she, we're told where she's from, but she practices such beautiful hospitality, and I think she has so much to teach us today. It's been such a pleasure this week diving into this passage because I just think it has a, a treasure trove uh, to offer each and every one of us in the room. So here's what I want to do. I would love for us to pray, and then we are going to open up this passage in 2 Kings chapter 4, and then we'll get rolling. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's a, an honor every single time we come here to open it and to talk through it and to unpack it, to expose what it says so that we can all kind of take hold of the riches you have for us. Lord, this morning as we look at the life, or maybe not the life, this moment in the life of the Shunammite woman, God, help us to be attentive to what you're doing. Help us and remind us that every passage in the Bible is your word. That though this is kind of tucked away and a part of the Old Testament we don't read real often, it still has a lot to tell us. And then, Lord, finally, help us to remember that in order to be truly hospitable, that the Holy Spirit has to work it in us, that we might not be selfish and grumble, but that we might do so with grace. We love you, God. We thank you. We praise things in your name. Amen. All right, Second Kings chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 8 through 17. Everybody ready? Here it goes. One day, Elisha, not Elijah, but his predecessor, Elisha, with an S-H, went to Shunem. And a prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. 
Then she said to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is a holy man of God. So let's make a small walled-in upper room and put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp there for him. And whenever he comes, he can stay there. Then one day he came there, Elisha, and stopped at the upstairs room to lie down. And he ordered his attendant, or it's like his intern, Gehazi, called the Shunammite woman. Uh, so he called her and she stood before him. Then he said to Gehazi, say to her, look, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Right? What can we do for you? How can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I love this line. I'm living among my own people, which basically means I don't need anything from you. This is free. Everybody follow? Verse 14, so he asked, then what should be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Love, love that sentence. Verse 15, Call her, Elisha said. So Gehazi called her and she stood in the doorway and Elisha said, at this time next year, you'll have a son in your arms. Remember, this is an Old Testament theme where those who can't have kids are given the ability to have them. And then verse 17 says, the woman, uh, so then she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your servant. Then the woman conceived and gave birth to a son at the same time the following year as Elisha had promised her. This is the word of our Lord. Yes. So here's the thing, a couple of things right off the bat that I would say. I have an eight-year-old daughter named Kennedy, and I would just right away want to put this out there for you, that any time that I'm reading through Scripture and I find a strong woman who's doing the work of God, I pause. And I take a break and I point it out. And I'm just telling you, like, women in the room, I hope you feel empowered by this passage. But also, if you've got young ladies in, the, in, the, in your house who need just examples of people like them in scripture, who are strong women who got it done. Like this is one of those passages, write it down, put it in the back of your Bible, make a note of it and come back to it and make sure they know about the Shunammite woman, okay? Again, we don't know her name, but we know that she was very capable and she got it done, okay? All right, let's keep working our way into it. Five things I wanna point out from her life or from her actions here in this passage that I think are significant to us and understanding what it looks like to be hospitable. And here's the deal. I know some of you are going, why does it matter that I'm hospitable? We'll get there, okay? So just hang with me until we get there. But here's the thing. Number one, the first thing that we see from her that I think is so significant for us to wrap our minds around, number one, is that her eyes are sensitive to who God is sending. Her eyes are sensitive. She's aware. She's aware. Now, around H&W, we talk a lot about domains. And I know, like, that's a strange word. We don't use that a lot in 2023. But the idea of domains comes from the idea of kingdom, which when we talk about kingdom, we're talking about the kingdom of God, as in the dome where Jesus is king, okay, or the domain where Jesus is king. And so at H&W, we teach that not only does Jesus have a domain, but each and every person in this room has a domain. All of you have a place and people with whom you have influence. Everybody across the room. It doesn't matter whether you're three years old or whether you are 107 years old. Every single one of us has a domain. All of us have people in our lives with whom we have influence. All of us go to places and interact with folks every day, okay? And so our domain, we believe as a church, is the place where we as the church are called to do ministry day in and day out, right? Because the work of the ministry isn't the minister's to do, 
It's the churches to do. All of us have ministry to do each and every day in our domain. One of the first steps in doing great ministry in your domain is being aware of who God is sending you throughout your day. It's an awareness issue. Some of us struggle with this. We go throughout our day and we see people and we interact with people, but we don't recognize that there are divine forces at work in our day who are sending some people along to us. And here's the deal. This Shunammite woman was just aware. It's very, 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 very simple. But she was aware. When she looked out in her world, she saw Elisha coming through on a regular basis. Her head was up. It wasn't planted in the sand. And as she saw him, she then acted. The next one, number two, right? Her eyes are sensitive to who God's sending. Number two, her life is open to people. Okay, so it's like her eyes are open, but her life is open as well. You notice verse eight. One day, Elisha went to Shunem. A prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to come eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. If you look at that word, whenever he passed by, it's a reminder that I mean, they didn't have cell phones back then. They didn't even have pagers, right? There were no beepers or whatever. Cool, yeah, right? But what it also meant is that she opened up her life when he came through town. You guys see that? There was an openness and willingness like to move some things around so that he could come eat at her house. And this is the thing. We don't always do this, but when we sense that God is sending someone into our life, we move things around to make room for what God's doing, right? This is so significant in the practice of hospitality. So the questions that sort of arise out of this are, are we open to interruption in our life? And I know for my wife and I, we run such a tight ship, like uh, 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. and then boom, I'm asleep and then start over again. All right, some of you are in that same boat. You run such a tight ship. Your schedule is so tight in like 15-minute increments that the idea of just opening up space in the middle of your day is terrifying. Anybody in that boat? Right? I would let everyone down if I did that. But for whatever reason, this woman is, is both interruptible and available. I'll tell you a, a great example in my life. When we lived back in Austin, um, when I was in student ministry, uh, one of my youth workers was a lady named Jeannie. I actually got to interact with her a little bit this week, and it was a joy. She's one of those people that, uh, at, you know, the, when Paul's writing to the Philippians, said, I, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. She is one of those people for me in my life. An amazing woman. She, at one point in her life, she was taking photographs for National Geographic. She's like a boss lady. She gets it done. I mean, she's incredible. But also, in the course of her life, in spite of the fact that she had three kids and a husband and all these other things going on in her life, she developed a heart for the leaders in young life who were ministering to the students at the schools, okay? So she just started inviting college students to come to her house. You need a break? Come to my house. You need some food? Come to my house. And they did it. And they did it a lot. And it was so rare that you'd be over at her house and there weren't just random college kids hanging out and milling around her house and eating her food and just being there, watching her TV, interacting with her kids. I mean, it was like for some of us, it was kind of batty almost. Like, I can't believe this. And now that I have three kids, I can't imagine the kind of life that she lived. But this is the deal. When you have this conviction that I just want my house to be the kind of place where this people that God's given me a heart for can come and find a home or feel at home, 
right? That kind of stuff just starts to happen, I think, naturally. These things work together. You've got to be aware of who God's sending, but then you've got to be willing to open your house to allow them to be there, okay? So those are the first two. The third one is this. Her heart was generous. And here's the thing. We know she was rich because the passage tells us she had a lot, okay? But she possessed a generous heart. She created margin for others in her finances and time. And I know this is... Uh, sort of intuitive, right? We would understand this, that in order to be hospitable, you've got to carve out in your finances and in your time the room to be hospitable to other people, okay? That's just kind of part of the deal. But she did this, right? It wasn't theory, it was practice. And the question for us this morning is, have you created margin for others in your life? Number four, the fourth thing she did well is that her mind was creative. But let me tell you why. Look, Back really closely at verse 9 with me. It says, Then she said to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by, Elisha, uh, here is a holy man of God. Okay? So we see in this little piece here that he passes by often. It's a regular thing. Verse 10. So let's make a small walled-in upper room and put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp there for him. Whenever he comes, he can stay here. So let me tell you this. I think it's really important. She's looking for ways to show honor to Elisha. That's part of the hospitality movement. But listen, her creativity, right? This moment where she's like, honey, I've got this idea. Some of you have spouses like this. I don't. And I'm thankful. I'm the actual person who's that in our family because I'm an otter, right? Like we talked about earlier. All right. I just flit around and have a beautiful time, right? Doing my otter things. But Uh, Some of you have spouses who do these sorts of things. Like, honey, I have an idea, right? And you see her in this moment come up with this idea to build a little tiny house on top of their house so that when Elisha comes through that there's a place for him. And you're like, why would she do that? Because they have eaten enough meals together at the table and she's seen him come through town often enough. They've built a big enough relationship in their life that she knows what he needs and her creativity comes out of a consideration of what he needs and not just general hospitality. You guys see that? I mean, it's awesome to see. And we see it in play all all throughout our world when people get down in the nitty gritty dealing with a community trying to figure out how can I actually bless this person, right? Not just generally, but specifically, what can I do on a granular level to bring blessing to their life? If you want to be great at hospitality, get really good at the details and get really good at understanding who you're dealing with so that you can bless them directly, Right? If they like fruit snacks, then keep fruit snacks in your cupboard. Right? If they're diabetic, don't keep fruit snacks in your cupboard. Right? <laughs> you guys see where I'm going with that. Right? She builds this house because it's a need that he has. Right? And her creativity comes about because she's considered him. She's considerate. In order to be truly hospitable, we've got to be considerate people. Okay? Number five, her actions are contagious. When you look at verses 11 through 17, I don't have time to read through those again. You just see that one, she is not in need. So when Elisha comes back to her and says, hey, look, I want to do something nice for you. Her response immediately is, is, this was grace. I don't need anything. I'm doing this for you, buddy. That's important because the next thing that happens comes not from a relationship that's trying to practice sort of reciprocal you did something nice for me, now I'm going to do something nice for you, love. But it comes out of just love, 
right? She doesn't need it, right? She didn't offer the grace to them and build the house on top of their house so that Elisha would come around and do something really nice for her, right? It was totally free, right? And that's important because, man, there's nothing worse than that person who's like, hey, I'm going to offer you hospitality, but I need you to do something for me, right? That wasn't her relationship, right? But though that wasn't the relationship, what happened is that her compassion, her generosity, her kindness and hospitality wound up inspiring Elisha to extend it back to her. Okay, and here's what we need. We need more people in our world practicing hospitality so that the people around them can be inspired to do the same. Hear this this morning. People need a living example more than they need directives and commands. If you're writing things down, write that down. People need a living example more than they need directives and commands. This is true in the life of Jesus, right? We eat with sinners. Why? Because Jesus literally ate with sinners. He didn't tell us to do it only. He actually did it. We take care of the poor and the needy. We care for widows and orphans. Why? Because Jesus did it and his disciples did it. So we're following an example. And so what people need in our world, y'all listen, people need to see other people acting hospitably so that they can catch the hospitable virus and then be hospitable themselves all throughout our world. That's the way that I think this works the very best. One one instance of this in my life, there's a guy named Bob Goff who's written some books. He's a character. Uh, You can go read those. There's a book called Love Does, another one called Love Everybody Always. But one of the little tidbits that he threw out there one day that just stuck to me, he's like, sometimes in the afternoon, I just know somebody's having a hard time, and I just call Domino's and order them some pizzas and have it sent to their house. And I was like, that's brilliant, right? It's so simple, so small, right? But listen, him doing that and me seeing what that looks like in practice is more instructive to me than someone just saying, hey, be hospitable. You know what I mean? So some of you in the room that this comes naturally to, right, this creative hospitality, do it. Do it. Show your friends how to do it. Because some of them are looking around going, I literally have no idea what to do. I can cook some stuff. And that's okay, good. But some of them just need an idea, and you got it. So offer it to them, okay? Her actions are contagious. Listen, this passage, like every passage in the Bible, ultimately points us to Jesus, Right, one of the beautiful things in this passage is that her hospitality opens a door for herself, which is super strange because it kind of comes around. But her hospitality opens up a door for her to experience the power of God through Elisha. It's just brilliant. And for us at the table, right, in our house, in our living rooms, our hospitality, our hospitality can open up the door for God's power to invade a home and a person's life in a way that is transformative. This morning, I want to show you a video from a, a woman that her name is Rosario Butterfield. She was a, a professor at Syracuse for a time in her life. She actually reached tenure, which means she was there for a while. And while there, she studied uh, feminist studies and queer studies. And uh, some years back, she found Jesus. And her story is a story about how hospitality had an impact on her life. And I want you to watch this this morning, short video on the screen. We live at this time where so many Christian ideas 
are understood as hate speech. After the Obergefell decision legalized gay marriage, that put the gospel on a collision course with the new law of the land. And I think many Christians have been struggling with, well, how do I speak? What do I do? How do I move forward? Home is a vital place to invite your neighbors in to have some heartfelt conversations. We can love our children together. We can let some things slide, even though the world we live in would say that we're supposed to be enemies. To me, hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian faith. I was raised in an Italian family. There were some issues in my house that made it almost impossible to have people in. So hospitality didn't really become endemic to my life until I had set up a home of my own. I was a professor at Syracuse. I lived as an out lesbian feminist in New York. In our LGBTQ community, somebody's home was open every night of the week. And there was never a question, where will I go if I need help? Because the community itself is organic and fluid, and that was how we dealt with crises. After I wrote my tenure book, I really wanted to write a book that was on my heart. Why is the religious right such a hateful community? And why do they hate people like me? I was on a war against two things, patriarchy and stupid. So I was really curious to know why relatively decent people would use the Bible in such a hateful way. So I wrote an editorial and it brought all kinds of attention my way, which I didn't really expect. But one of the things it brought my way was a letter from Ken Smith, the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. When Ken and his wife Floyd invited me to dinner, I was happy. I, th I thought of Ken as my unpaid research assistant. And they were fine with the fact that I, I wanted to read the Bible to critique it. That began a research journey that changed my life. But it wasn't research that changed my life. In Ken and Floyd's home, the way that they practiced hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. After my first dinner at Ken and Floyd's house, Ken gave me a big hug, Floyd gave me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. We said, we'll catch up next week, this was fun, can't wait to do it again. They did not share the gospel with me, and they did not invite me to church. And that was so wonderful, because what it showed to me was that they didn't see me as a project. They actually saw me as a neighbor. Now, I didn't step foot in the church for two years, but every week I was in their home. And every week, it was clear that pretty much anything could go. We could ask anything. Ken and Floyd were fine. And that process of dialogue and table fellowship was compelling. It was deeply compelling. 
I did not come to faith because I stopped feeling like a lesbian. It's not that I got all of my worldview issues just completely cemented with a happy Christian evangelism, not at all. I came to faith because I became convicted that Jesus is who he says he is. Ephesians 4.29 is our watchword, that we are to impart grace to the hearer. I might not agree with everything that you hold to be near and dear, but because we are neighbors, I don't have to say everything that's on my heart. And you don't have to say everything that's on your heart right now. We can put some of our worldview issues aside. And over years of this, the gospel takes on a momentum that is compelling to people. I think we need to give each other the reminder that it's God who saves. It's not about certainly us being perfect or our words being perfect, but show up we must in the lives of unbelievers. What comes naturally to me and what comes naturally to you is to hang out with people who are like us, <laughs> people who can maybe finish our sentences, people who don't scare us. But hospitality, biblically speaking, takes strangers and makes them neighbors, and takes neighbors and makes them family of God. It's a great joy to see the gospel bring people together who are supposed to be enemies. And it's a great joy to know that God never gets the address wrong. And if your neighbors aren't people you know yet, there's a blessing waiting for you. If you want to hear more of Rosario's story, uh, I would encourage you to pick up her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, you can purchase that today. It's an excellent, excellent read. One of the quotes from the book, to reiterate something she just said, uh, she, she writes this, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors the family of God. Friends, we look at, and maybe I have been guilty of looking at the idea of hospitality and seeing it as kind of a cute aside to the serious work of the gospel. But in a world where people spew hate over those they don't know from the safety of ideological echo chambers, the hospitable stand on the front lines, right? willing to invite people unlike them, strangers, to sit at their tables and eat their food and drink their wine. They extend their lives to them and their love to them, even if they don't agree. And I think that's so beautiful and powerful. These are the ones who take time to understand people's stories and struggles, so rare. They considerately extend the gospel of love the gospel of Jesus to these people. I've heard it said that love is best expressed up close and friends, hospitality specializes in just that. So may we all take this to heart and may we all get busy with the hard work of hospitality. Backstage a moment ago, I was talking with Steve and Cassie and they said, you know, it's so simple. Just be a friend to people. Invite them into your life, love them. 
But what we know is so simple, right, in words, can be difficult in our actions. But my hope today is this, that like the Shunammite woman, that you would take on the mantle of making your home a place where other people can feel at home, that they might find their home with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you today. We confess that if we're honest, regardless of what we call home, whether it's an apartment or whether it's a house or a ranch, um, regardless of what it is, whoever that place is, whoever those people are in our lives, Lord, you've given them to us. Lord, so often I am guilty of assuming ownership of something that you've stewarded to me for the use of the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray you'd forgive us for that. Make us um, willing to open our homes to those who are different than us, to open our homes to neighbors, even to friends, those we hope to be our friends. Open our lives to people that your love uh, might flow through us like a conduit. Lord, we know we're not perfect and our houses are dirty. Our food's not always the best. But man, experiencing phileo, friendly love, you just, it's just so good. And we know it and we wanna extend it to others. So God, help us with this. Lord, whatever our hangup is that makes this hard for us, I just pray that you'd help us. Give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom and the creativity. Lord, for those in the room who are introverts, who are like totally freaked out by this, pray and give them the courage just to reach out to somebody in their life in a tangible way and love them. Lord, teach us to be hospitable. Teach us to... uh, get down in people's lives, in their stories and in their struggles that when we talk to them about Jesus, it's from a place that's personal and not from a tweet that flies over um, you know, the internet to people that we don't know who aren't in our ideological camp maybe. Or we wanna be your hands and feet, so God help us with that. We love you and we thank you that you've been so hospitable to us, that you invite us to come sit at your table. In spite of all of our flaws, you ask us to sit at your table and eat. God, help us to do the same. In your name we pray. Amen. So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text Jesus to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.